Oh, well, good morning, everybody. Uh, I'm Stephen, and I'm going to read the Bible passage this morning. Uh, so let's pray first for hearing God's word. Heavenly Father, give us faith to receive your word, understanding to know what it means, and the will to put it into practice. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. And the reading this morning is from Colossians, chapter 4, uh, beginning at verse 2. And you can find that on page 1185 in the Bibles you've been given in the pews. Uh, so it's Colossians, chapter 4, beginning at verse 2. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And pray for us, too, that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ, for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly, as I should. Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Tychicus will tell you all the news about me. He is a dear brother, a faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I'm sending him to you for the express purpose that you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts. He's coming with Onesimus, our faithful and dear brother, who is one of you. They will tell you everything that is happening here. My fellow prisoner, Aristarchus, sends you his greetings, as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. You've received instructions about him. If he comes to you, welcome him. Jesus, who is called Justice, also sends greetings. These are the only Jews among my co-workers for the kingdom of God, and they have proved a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends greetings. He's always wrestling in prayer for you, that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. I vouch for him that he is working hard for you and for those at Laodicea and Herapolis. Our dear friend Luke, the doctor, and Demas send greetings. Give my greetings to the brothers and sisters at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. After this letter's been read to you, See that it is also read in the church of the Laodiceans and that you in turn read the letter from Laodicea. Tell Archippus, see to it that you complete the ministry you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting in my hand, my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. This is the word of the Lord. 
Thanks be to God. Well, good morning, everyone. My name is Gordon. I'm the assistant minister. Uh, let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for all that we've heard and learnt in this book of Colossians. Uh, please keep writing this into our hearts that Christ may be Lord over our lives, that we may live and love like him. In his name we pray. Amen. Well, we have come to the end of Colossians, and uh, well done, Stephen, on some of those names in that last bit of the passage there. Uh, I always find verse 16 interesting. You know, picture the Colossian church back then, uh, sitting around maybe in someone's house and uh, listening to this letter that they have from Paul being read out. And today's question is, what would be the last thing they hear from him? What, what's the last thing that they'll hear? Um, the World Cup has started. Um, great win for Australia last night. I feel like I have an excuse now to talk about football here. Um, but think about a coach maybe preparing his players before the match. Uh, he spends hours on the training pitch, you know, talking about tactics, strategy, all the important stuff, right? But in the final minute before the match starts, before they step out onto the pitch, he has an opportunity for one last message. What's the one message he wants his players to have, you know, ringing in their ears as they step out onto the pitch? I know that Colossians, it's a letter, it's not a pep talk from a coach, but Colossians 4, this passage, is this final message from Paul to this Colossian church, and he wants, them, he wants this message to have ringing in their ears as they step out into the world. And the message that Paul wants for them to have is this, look outwards, look outwards. Uh, we've seen that this letter to Colossians has been to Christians. Paul's encouraging these Christians to keep living with Christ as their Lord over every aspect of their lives. But Paul finishes this letter by shifting their gaze outwards. Uh, he wants them to leave not looking at themselves, but out to the world, out to those who don't yet know and follow Jesus. And so if you look at the outline that you have in the booklets, we'll be focusing first on two things, outward-focused prayer and outward-focused witness. And we'll spend most of our time in these uh, verses 2 to 6. But just before we get there, now you might be someone here who isn't a follower of Jesus yet, and we're so glad that you're here. We welcome you into our church family as you keep exploring Jesus. And I get that us talking about, you know, how to talk to non-believers or evangelism, the word we chuck around, that might be a little bit awkward. Uh, close to where I live in Chatswood, uh, there's a tennis shop, and I'm not really into tennis that much, but I don't mind playing a bit of tennis every now and then, and so I went to check out this shop, and I go in. And to my surprise, I'm the only customer. Um, there's the boss, there's a younger assistant, and then there's me. But I've already stepped into the shop, so it's too awkward for me to get out. And so I start looking at rackets. And I could hear the boss talking to his assistant and kind of like motioning him towards me. And I could hear him say, you know, he doesn't look like he'll buy an expensive racket. He's not that kind of player. Try to, try to get him to buy the cheaper stuff. <laughs> I'm sorry if this passage makes you feel a bit like that. But, you know, here at St. Stephen's, we preach what's in the passage in the Bible. And whilst you might not trust in Jesus yet, I do hope at least that you'll be able to see why those who follow Jesus just really want to tell others about him, you know, even if we might not always do this with the greatest finesse or polish. But 
That's that. Let's get into this passage. Uh, Verses 2 to 4. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message, so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ, for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly, as I should. Paul begins this final word by asking for prayer. Prayer comes before he even instructs them on evangelism, on how to to witness to others. But notice how they are to pray. So verse 2, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. Devote yourselves to prayer, persevere in it, don't give up. Being watchful, being alert, being disciplined, not being sleepy or being slack. Paul really knows that it's hard to pray, you know, how easy it is for us to forget, to just kind of squeeze it in between other things that we have on our, in our day. Uh, I struggle with this too, and I've really had to set aside time in my diary, like actually put it into my phone calendar, 10 minutes, 10, 15 minutes every morning to pray. Uh, I know that some of the ladies get together on a Saturday morning here at church to pray. That's another way, you know, praying with others. It's another way of being watchful, being devoted persevering and not giving up in prayer. But notice also thankful. Uh, In verse 2, we've noticed in Colossians, thankfulness, it's part of the DNA of being a Christian. It's a response to what God has done for us in Christ. In verse 3, notice what Paul wants prayer for. Pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message, so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ, for which I'm in chains. Uh, there's lots of, here, uh, lots of things here, for, uh, but first, uh, Paul's in prison. Uh, he's in prison for preaching the gospel. And uh, many people have been commenting that we now live in a post-Christian society. Uh, there was a time in the past, particularly in the West, where the Christian church and its leaders were part of the ruling or influential elite, as one uh, scholar puts it. But that, now, that, that time has now passed. It's passed. Now we are just one of many options in the market, so to speak. And I've noticed that for many Christians, our response to this has kind of just been to lament the good old days. You know, how good was it back then when everyone had to go to church? Others, other Christians, I've noticed, don't really know what to do. Just bit it, we're just discouraged. I think these verses here are both refreshing and also a bit challenging to us. See, this isn't the first time in history that Christianity has been on the back foot. You know, our times now are actually starting to look a lot more similar to Paul's time, where the gospel was just one of many options, where Christians had no say in the public square, where Christian leaders like Paul were persecuted and put in jail. Uh, Rico Tice, he's an English pastor, he says that there are always two H's, two H's to the gospel, hostility and hunger towards the gospel, hostility and hunger in every age towards the gospel. Even now, in this post-Christian world, there is hostility, of course, but there's also hunger, isn't there? People are hungry for the gospel. Even though he's in chains, Paul's asking for an open door for this gospel, Uh, The gospel, um, the message of Christ is still powerful to save, despite Paul's chains, despite the hostility towards Christians. Paul's instinct, his first instinct, is to ask for prayer. He knows that God's still in charge. He knows that God is still 
saving people through this gospel. Paul doesn't say, pray that I'll get out of prison. He says, pray that I may proclaim it clearly, at the end of verse 4. He prays that he may make this mystery of Christ clear. Um, back in chapter 1, if you remember you know, a few weeks back, um, Paul says this. He says, uh, to his people, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles, or the nations, the glorious riches of this mystery. What's this mystery? It's Christ in you, the hope of glory. The mystery of Christ is that he is in you. We are one with the ruler of the universe, the one who created everything. We have an intimate relationship with the Son of God. See, many people now, and also back then, don't know what Christianity is actually about. You know, back then, many people thought it was just for Jews. Now, I think many people think Christianity is all about rule-keeping. It's about bringing up your kids with some good morals. They don't know that it's actually about being in relationship with God and made possible by God's love and grace to us. See, preaching the gospel or evangelism, that's the word, the big word for preaching the gospel, it's about making the mystery of Christ clear. It's about making the message clear. It's first about clarity. Um, it's about speaking clearly, proclaiming it clearly. It's about clarity more than the other things. The other things are, of course, important, but clarity is key because ultimately it's the message that saves, not the skill of the messenger. The messenger's actions or manner of speech can make this message more or less accessible to others, more or less attractive to others, but it's the message that saves. It's the gospel we speak that saves. That's why Paul wants prayer, that he speaks it clearly. A previous pastor always used to ask me, um, what have you been praying for? What's, what's the thing that you've been praying for? And I always found this question helpful, but a little bit uncomfortable too. What we pray for, it tells us what we want and what we long for, right? It reveals to us which way we're looking. Are we looking inward at ourselves or outwards? And Paul's urge here is for outward-focused prayer. Look outwards. Pray for the preaching of the gospel in the world. Pray for others beyond St. Stephen's, beyond Willoughby, who are preaching this gospel all around the world. Uh, we'll be doing that later. But it's not just outward-focused prayer. Uh, Paul moves on to talking about outward-focused witness. Uh, so verse 5. Uh, be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Uh, what does it mean here to be wise? Uh, some people read this quite cautiously. So I remember a guy who I used to work with, a Christian guy, who he'd never go socialize with his colleagues after work. He was just so cautious of being around them. And so his only friends ended up just being his church friends. That's not what Paul means here. But at the same time, when we talk about wisdom in the Bible, being wise, it is connected to moral behavior. Um, that's what Proverbs says. And so maybe it's worse for someone to say to you, you know, your life looks nothing different to us. Your actions aren't any different to us. So why should I care about the Jesus that you believe in? I think the best way to understand, you know, what it means here to be wise in the way you act towards outsiders, I think the best way is to look at Jesus. Jesus is wisdom. Being wise is to be like Jesus. 
How did Jesus relate to those who were outside the kingdom of God? He never shunned them, right? He welcomed them. He ate and drank with them. He loved them. He spoke with them and he taught them. He didn't follow in their evil ways, but he spent time with them because he wanted them to come and repent and come back to God. I see that that's why Paul adds this other phrase here make the most of every opportunity. Being wise in how we act towards outsiders is so that we can make the most of every opportunity to bring them back to God. That's what Jesus did. Now, sometimes we read this, we read make the most of every opportunity, and we think of that elevator pitch, right? We've got 30 seconds of this person. I have to tell them everything I know about God. I don't think that's what Paul's talking about. The word that's translated opportunity, it's actually quite a flexible word in the Greek, and it just means time. So make the most of the time. And time can mean the time period that we have until Jesus comes back. This age, this era, Jesus is coming back. So make the most of this time that we have to call people to repent because when he comes back, it'll be too late. Our time can also mean a season. So make the most of this season of life. Um, we have different opportunities with people depending on the season of life that you're in. Uh, whether you're a uni student and you're not working full-time yet, you have different opportunities there. Whether you're a young parent, uh, you have different opportunities with different people there. Uh, whether you're in a season of singleness or marriage, whether you're retired, each of life's seasons gives you a different opportunity, different opportunities with people. Uh, this word could also mean a particular calendar season, like Christmas or the summer holidays. Uh, we'll talk more about that a little bit later. But notice, Paul doesn't say, look for opportunities. He says, make the most of every opportunity. There's a little assumption there that there are always opportunities. There are always opportunities. Now, verse 6. Let your conversation be full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Conversation. I've highlighted conversation. And this is important. Uh, some of us, uh, some of you uh, read Sam Chan's book last year, I heard, uh, How to Talk About Jesus Without Being That Guy. Talking about Jesus, it's just as much about listening to someone and asking them questions as, as it is about speaking yourself. It's a conversation. That's how human relationships work. Uh, Rico Tice, I mentioned him before, he says, evangelism, preaching the gospel to others, it's a journey of gospel chatting. It's a dialogue not a download. It happens over time. It happens within the friendship. It's full of grace, as we saw in verse 6. It actually cares about what the other person is saying, not just dumping information on them. It's seasoned with salt, uh, in verse 6. Uh, we are the salt of the earth, Jesus says. Don't lose your saltiness, Jesus says. Don't lose your distinctiveness as a Christian. Be a Christian friend to someone. Not many people actually have a Christian friend. And so there are real opportunities out there to be that friend for someone, to be involved in their lives, to be that person that they can turn to when they have a moment of crisis, to be that someone who, over countless conversations, is able to share Jesus more and more each time with them. Now, I think many of us know that evangelism is important. Well, I hope so. But we're a bit stuck on how to do it. Now, some of us just don't have many non-Christian friends. You know, all our friends are basically church friends or Christian friends. And my challenge to you is to get out there. 
You know, are there acquaintances that you have that you could turn into friendships? You know, is there someone that you just usually say hi to and that's kind of it, that's the only contact you have? That you could take the next step with them, maybe invite them to coffee, invite them over, go for a walk. Um, I've noticed that coming out of college this year, uh, that's kind of my situation. I don't have many non-Christian friends in this area. And so I decided to join a local soccer team. Um, to have fun, of course, I like soccer, but to also make friends. Um, and uh, you know, this is going to take time, it's not going to happen overnight, but you have to start somewhere. Now some of you um, have lots of friends, but you don't really know how to get Jesus into the conversation, and it's tricky. And Paul's encouragement we've seen is to pray first. Pray for that open door. Um, I've also found Sam Chan's tips on this helpful. Uh, he says asking questions in the conversation can help move it towards something deeper, you know, moving from just talking about interests, you know, things that you're commonly interested in, to, to values or things that you actually care about deep in life, the values that you have of life. And, and listening, he says. Simple, listening. That's how conversations with friends go. You know, if you give me time for me to talk to you, then I'll want to hear what you say. And there's your moment to share about Jesus, to share you know, what he's done for you in your life, how much he means to you, what you find attractive about him. I also know that some of us have friends who know that you're a Christian and you've talked about it before with them, but they're just not interested and you know, they keep rejecting your invitations to church things. Firstly, don't feel that it's all on you if they reject you, that you, you can't control that. And, and again, keep praying, don't give up prayer, Paul says. And because you have that deep friendship, they'll keep talking to you about things in life, they, so there will be opportunities. Uh, Sam Chan has a tip about sharing stories about Jesus, a short story about Jesus from, you know, that you know from the Bible, maybe it's your favorite story about Jesus, could connect with their situation. So, for example, if your friend is talking to you about how they feel unsatisfied in life, there might be an opportunity to share with them the story of how Jesus meets that woman at the well in, um, in John chapter 4. Um, he has another tip of going to their thing, so you know, if you go to something that they find important, a party that they're running, a fundraising event, uh, I don't know, whatever it is, if you go to their things, they're more likely to want to come to your things, that's, you know, it's friendship. So I, these are all tips that I found uh, really helpful for me. Uh, one of the less well-known missionaries to China was a lady called Gladys Aylwood. And her story is really interesting. Uh, it's kind of this. She stopped going to church when she finished school. Uh, so this was 1920s in England. Uh, she wanted to be an actress, and so eventually her life started enjoying this life of worldly pleasures. Uh, but in God's kindness, she came back to Christ as an adult. And as she kept hearing the gospel and it was growing into her heart, deep into her heart. She had this longing to go to China. But when she applied, uh, she failed the theological exams that this missionary uh, school had. And so they had to reject her. But um, chance came that she heard of a Scottish Christian woman who owned an inn in a place in China called Yangchen. Uh, and she was looking for a helper. And so Gladys took this incredible train journey all the way to Yangchen and started working and helping out in this, in this inn. And over time, she was learning Chinese. And this inn 
uh, lots of people would pass through. And so over time, she would build these connections and um, grow into friendships. And as her Chinese got better, she would start having deeper conversations with these people. And because Chinese people love to hear stories, and remember, she had failed her theological exams, but she could tell stories about Jesus. And so she started sharing all these stories that she knew about Jesus, that she learned in, in the Bible. And through her storytelling, uh, God saved many of these people. And I love this story because in many ways, she's, she's just like us. You know, just a person who found Christ, who the gospel was growing in her heart, but she stepped out of her comfort zone. She stepped out, and when she did, she was able to make the most of opportunities to connect with people, to grow um, friendships, to tell stories about the one who had saved her, and to bring many people to faith. Now, this passage that we looked at, Paul's addressing to the church. He doesn't say, hand this bit over to the outreach pastor, he'll look at it, or hand this over to those who are really keen on evangelism. No, it's for the whole church. The whole church is on evangelism together. And so I want to talk about how we at St. Stephen's can make the most of our opportunities, particularly this summer season, Christmas coming up. So, Pippi kind of talked about this before, but we have carols coming up, uh, where you know, 300 people came last year, despite it being COVID year. And we want all these people to come back for Christmas too. But after Christmas, we're on holidays for about six weeks. Um, you'll probably take a few weeks off. People might go away. But there are no church programs running except for Sundays. There's no school going on. So we'll have minimum commitments, but a lot more time to hang out with friends. And so this summer of opportunities, it's not another program. Um, it's basically an excuse. It's, a, it's an encouragement for you to hang out with your friends. Uh, because it's through friendships that evangelism and this gospel dialogue uh, happens. It's through friendships that people actually are brought towards faith. You know, our courses, our events that we run during the year, they're actually there to help you walk with your friends as they explore Jesus. Friendship, it's the friendship that's important. And so this summer, um, Kushak put this kind of slide, there's different opportunities for you. You, know, you can have coffee with people, you can go to the beach, you can talk to them, you can have a barbecue with them. It's an opportunity to build on these friendships so that when uh, February comes next year, when we have our Lunar New Year dinner, when we have our new kids club, when we have Alpha course running, that invite can be a lot easier. I've been going around the gap groups and I'll be coming around this week to talk more about this summer of opportunities um, because as we've seen in the passage, it's done together. Evangelism's done together and it's done with prayer. Because what we're doing here at St. Stephen's is actually part of something bigger. You know, this isn't, such, this isn't like a little project that I want you to do on your friends. Our mission here is actually part of something much bigger. So if you glance at verses 7 to 18, Paul shares his mission with the Colossian church. And just look at all the names. So many of Paul's friends, his gospel co-workers, send their greetings to this church in Colossae, this small local church in Colossae. It's part of something bigger. It's part of something global. And this isn't just Paul's mission. These verses show that Paul's, he's not some lone hero who does all the evangelism. He's, he's part of a bigger team himself. The Apostle Paul is part of something bigger than himself too. It's not even Paul's mission. Our mission 
is Christ's mission. And Jesus Christ, he's not in the business of selling tennis rackets. He's in the business of saving souls. At the end of Schindler's List, it's a very powerful movie about a German businessman who managed to rescue thousands of Jews in the Holocaust uh, by getting them to work in his factory as laborers. It's a very, pow very powerful movie, and sorry to spoil the ending, but at the end, the war's over, and this man, Oskar Schindler, he walks, he steps out of his factory, and there's a crowd of thousands of Jews just greeting him, thanking him, so grateful that he himself has saved them. And in that moment, it hits him what he's actually done. And he, he breaks down in tears, and he starts saying, you know, I could have saved more. I could have saved more. He looks at his gold ring, and he says, I could have sold this and saved one more person. He looks at the coat that he's wearing. I could have sold this and saved one more soul. Our mission is to save souls. Christ reigns as the Lord of all, and he's coming back. Now is the time for salvation. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for saving us and bringing us from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of your Son. Help us make this message of Christ, this gospel message, clear. Open the door for our message. Help us to proclaim it clearly. Help us make the most of our opportunities, our friendships, our conversations, so that we might see many of our friends saved on that last day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.